Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. So are you interested in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies? Have you ever kicked yourself for not jumping in sooner and making a fortune on the rise and value of the past few years? Well, what about the recent fork? Is cryptocurrency here to stay? There's so many questions about this exciting alternative and so many possibilities, but where does one start? Well, our guest today, Stan Larimer, is a cryptocurrency pioneer, former rocket scientist for the U.S. Air Force Academy, and the founder of Cryptonomics. He has a vision to unlock the huge potential of cryptocurrencies for investment and philanthropy, and he's going to share with you how to jump into this fascinating world and help others in the process. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio, Stan. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So I am familiar with your work, and I'm familiar with um, some of your YouTube videos, and really excited to have you on the show because cryptocurrency, for so many of us, seems so complicated, and you've got a gift for simplifying what cryptocurrency is all about. So um, for those In our audience, who most of our audience are very well educated, they're very in the know, but they may not be totally familiar with your understanding or your explanation of cryptocurrency. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how it works? Okay. Well, yeah, you're right. Uh, Generally, uh, we in this area tend to focus on the implementation details, but at the very top level. The level all of us are used to dealing with our own bank accounts, it's very simple. We're all familiar with an online checking account, for example. And you know when you go there and log on to your bank, you see that you have a certain number of dollars or whatever currency sitting in there. And we all really know that that money's not really there. It's an entry in the bank's ledger, keeps track of how much much is in our account. And we can ask the bank to move it to somebody else's account for us. Uh, That's pretty simple. Uh, And so, in some sense, we're already all familiar with using digital currencies. When we talk about cryptocurrencies, the only difference is that there's not a single central point that controls our money, like the bank. Now, most of us trust our banks. Maybe we shouldn't, but we do generally trust them to keep an accurate record of how much we have and who they sent it to. And that all works good when it works good. But whenever uh, we've seen some examples of banks going broke uh, or whenever we have a situation with just bank acting like a middleman and slowing up our transaction, telling us it's going to take five days to wire money somewhere, those kind of things. Digital currencies, cryptocurrencies in particular, are decentralized, and that's the big difference. So what do you mean by centralized exactly? Well, uh, when it's centralized, it means one person 
can, with a flick of a keyboard, change how much money is in your account. They can take it out. They can put it back. They can seize your funds. Uh, we've had examples of, uh, for example, in Cyprus a few years ago, uh, everybody who had their money in Cyprus banks suddenly found that, uh, that the banks took 40 percent of it. It was called a bail-in instead of a bail-out. The people who had money on deposit were essentially asked to pay for the bank's mistakes and, and uh, improper or un unconservative uh, handling of their money. And when we go to decentralized, what we're really saying is instead of one point, we have computers all over the world, ideally one in every country or more. And if you think of those computers as being like little software robots uh, and think of them as little robots wearing uh, accounting suits with a uh, pencil behind their ear, they're very uh, careful with the money, and they're always checking each other so all the computers talk together. And if I go into one of those computers and try to, you know, embezzle some money or seize some money or uh, do some of the other things that happen with middlemen in the case, all the other robots detect it and say, wait a minute, this robot's cheating, and they cut it out of the record. It's not allowed to make uh, any entries. It's just ignored. So that's the key thing about cryptocurrencies is people can deal with each other peer-to-peer -peer through this network of robots that are more trustworthy in, than humans because they're watching each other and checking each other and don't know how to cheat because they're trusty robots. So how did this all begin? Like, who was the mastermind behind this? The uh, person, the legendary Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, nobody knows who that really is. Some suspect it's not even a single person. But it might be a group of people. Uh, but whoever it was, it uh, was somebody who, back in 2010, was busy typing his ideas out uh, on various uh, discussion forums. And, in fact, our founder, Dan Larimer, has uh, uh, records that you can still find out there where he was talking to, to Satoshi Nakamoto about the uh, invention, commenting on things that were good and bad about it, and they had a discussion there. So we date back to when Satoshi was still active. And then one day, shortly after that, he or she or it just disappeared. And uh, no one really knows what happened after that. But... Uh, what that person or group invented was the first so-called blockchain. And a blockchain is nothing but, I mean, if you have a three-ring binder sitting on your table and uh, every 10 minutes you write down a bunch of transactions, uh, you know, move it from Mary to Joe, move it from Cindy to Sam, uh, and you keep logging entries of people making payments, and after 10 minutes you take that a sheet of paper to a notary, and the notary stamps it as official, and you put it in the three-ring binder and then start on a new sheet of paper. Each one of those sheets of paper is a block, and putting it in the binder makes it a chain of those things, which are held together with uh, mathematical magic called cryptography that keeps you from changing anything you put in the binder. And so that's what those trusty robots are all out there doing is every 10 minutes they scoop up a bunch of transactions that people have made, and one of them wins the chance to certify it as official, and they stick it on the blockchain in the binder. And that becomes the permanent record that nobody can change, which 
is what those of us in this industry love about that idea. And, of course, since then, uh, there have been tons of innovations and thinking. You can think of Bitcoin as kind of Henry Ford's Model T, very first mass production car. And, uh, you know, it made it possible for everybody to get using it. But since then, of course, people have invented all kinds of uh, faster and better and more comfortable cars and uh, have invented airplanes and trains and you know, all kinds of starships even, practically. So uh, a lot of progress has been made in the seven years or so since that first Model T came out. But Bitcoin is still the big uh, $40-plus billion uh, gorilla in the room because so many people know it. But you could also say that in addition to that being a very specific uh, blockchain, it's also kind of become like the word Kleenex. It stands for digital currencies. All the time you ask me about Bitcoin, you're really asking me about all the digital currencies, of which Bitcoin is the most famous original one. And I understand there's over 850 cryptocurrencies? Uh, at least right that many. Yeah, at least that many. Uh, you have to understand there's a broad spectrum between the uh, greatest and the least on that list. Let's say there's probably 2,000 of them. A lot of them are just little hobby projects or kind of jokes, but there are serious groups of people that uh, start currencies for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes they just take the Bitcoin code, which is open source and available, and make a copy of it. That's like taking a blueprint for a Model T and making your own Model T and going out and trying to serve customers. You know, I mean, there's lots of taxis in New York City. Uh, everybody has to ride in the, the very first Model T taxi. And so everybody's out there competing with their own taxi company to deliver payloads, which in this case is transfers of coins that carry some value. Hmm. So Bitcoin being the most popular, um, it recently split into two currencies, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, what was that, the thinking behind that? Well, you know, like all humans, uh, Bitcoin is a decentralized uh, group of people, uh, a bunch of developers, and a bunch of people that run the hardware, the computers that run the Bitcoin system. And not everybody always disagrees or always agrees on how best to uh, go forward. Sometimes there are strong philosophical differences about the best thing to do. And people try to work it out by consensus, but every once in a while, uh, two groups of engineers decide to go two different ways. And that's really what happened mm. in, in the case of Bitcoin. They couldn't agree on uh, how to speed it up. Uh, one of Bitcoin's limitations is uh, the original one we had before August 1st could only do maybe three or four transactions per second. Uh, since this fork, the two different fixes, one of them that now holds the name Bitcoin, uh, doubled its throughput by changing some of the way it stores data. And uh, another group of people who did the Bitcoin Cash version uh, made some different changes that actually got them uh, four times as much uh, throughput. So uh, if you take the best case of, of that estimate, that might get them as many as maybe 28 transactions per second. 
You say, well, gee, 28 uh, people get to send money to somebody else every second. But, but if you think about the whole world trying to use that, it's really like a little footbridge across the canyon. And people have to line up and walk across that little footbridge to get there. To just give you a comparison, a uh, major credit card like Visa uh, often peaks out at something like 4,000 transactions per second. And if you take all the different – if you think of that as a lane on a superhighway, and then you think of all the different credit cards and bank wiring systems as being other lanes in that superhighway, the whole world's transactions are like a 28-lane superhighway going across that same canyon. And so Bitcoin has the advantage of no middleman, but it really does not have – the throughput to handle all that traffic. So they sort of gained a little bit of time by one group doubling the width of the bridge and another group made it four times bigger. And so now we've got two footbridges that are trying to compete to handle all the world's traffic. So I love your analogies, and thank you for your explanations because they're so simple um, to understand. So there are other currencies, though, that can facilitate more transactions per second, and so they have a technological advantage. Yes, that's a very good point. If you were to think of all those other currencies, first of all, let's just take all the ones that are strictly clones of Bitcoin. They're, they're still the narrow footbridges. <laughs> before the upgrade. And so think of this canyon as having lots, maybe 2,000 footbridges going across it. Uh, there are people researching some uh, other methods, but there is one other thing that happened back on August 1st that was largely missed, uh, although it, we published it a lot. There was one other fork. It wasn't Bitcoin did not split into two. It split into three. And uh, if you think of each of those uh, bridges as a platform, uh, you might think of um, like uh, building uh, an application for Windows 10 and Windows 11 or something, uh, different software platforms that you're building on top. The third version of Bitcoin was built on another platform called BitShares, which has been around for a couple of years. And it is a superhighway. That's something that hasn't been discovered or acknowledged a lot yet. Uh, Bitcoin is generally worth uh, maybe 100 times as much as the total market cap of BitShares, and yet BitShares actually handles more peak daily traffic right now than Bitcoin and the second one, Ethereum, uh, which is about half the size of Bitcoin. Those two combined process less than half of the transactions that BitShares is doing today. So there is, in addition to all these little footbridges, this undiscovered uh, superhighway that is scalable to handle all those credit card transactions that are taking place on, in the real world and could handle it today. And so part of my mission in life uh, is to uh, – call attention to the world that, you know, you don't have to walk across all these slow footbridges. There is a decentralized superhighway able to handle all that traffic right now. And the people that developed it, uh, the, the uh, main inventor was Dan Larimer, he, in case you're wondering, is my son. 
Uh, I'm just a guy that comes along after him and finds things to do with all these wonderful inventions. He invented bit shares a couple of years ago. It's been running flawlessly uh, all that time. And then he went on and invented a social media blockchain that is called Steemit. You can find it at steemit.com. And that pays people to publish and critique other people's blog articles. When he finished that, he's moved on to a new group called EOS, E-O-S dot I-O. Uh, that's his latest project, which is something that will take the Bitcher's superhighway and make it an uncountable number of lanes, as many lanes as need, super parallelizable, and thus able to handle all the world's transactions, uh, but do so in a decentralized way where no one can cheat. And so that's what you've got when you're, when you're going along here. If all you want to do is send money from one point to another, you can go to any of these bridges. But if you go to the BitShares bridge, not only can you send money at a uh, very rapid rate. Bitcoin takes 10 minutes to fill out one of those blocks. BitShares takes three seconds. So near instantaneous transactions and ability to handle as many transactions as the world needs. And on top of that, it can host a whole lot of different coins. So, for example, you could take Bitcoin and all of those other uh, ordinary coins, little foot wrenches, and you could scoop them all up and put them on top of the BitShares superhighway, and it could handle all those coins' traffic. And right now there's several hundred different coins that are not only running on that network, but they can trade against each other because built into BitShares is a decentralized exchange. So instead of going to an exchange that might get hacked or might be uh, subject to human uh, frailty, let's say, uh, all of your trading of anything that's running on the BitShares superhighway can take place right there in three seconds with no counterparty risk. Counterparty risk is the worry that the man in the middle may not faithfully do what he or she is supposed to. And uh, there's a risk that that person might make a mistake or run off with the money or seize the money or do something else with it. We get rid of that middleman, and now you can trade with your neighbor on the other side of the planet in three seconds among any of those currencies. And so that's the huge, exciting uh, product that's sitting there. And I say undiscovered. It's still running twice as many transactions as the leaders do combined. But still, when you've got a highway that big, it's hardly used at all. It's, it's wide open and ready to, for more traffic. And, that's what we're trying to do is tell people it's there and uh, give them the opportunity to use it. So I know Bitcoin is still fiat, right? Aren't these cryptocurrencies just backed by nothing more than public confidence? No, no, no. In fact, I would say Bitcoin is the exact opposite of fiat. It, it prides itself in not being fiat. And so since you asked that question, let me elaborate on that a little bit. Fiat is when a central authority declares there's going to be so many dollars and they're going to be worth so many ounces of gold. And we want you to pay your taxes using that. And it's legal tender in our company. And we're just declaring that because we have the power to make laws. And 
that is what is fiat. And fiat is, unfortunately, because it's run by a central organization, it's subject to change on a whim. You can go back in time and look at what uh, FDR, Roosevelt, did when he basically confiscated all the gold and then devalued the U.S. dollar by 40 percent, uh, you know, basically suddenly making everybody's paper money 40 percent worth less. It was a disaster for people, and he did it by an executive order. Uh, so that is fiat, using the power of government to arbitrarily take people's money and, and reassign it. And you see that all over the world. Every decade we have uh, some uh, currency in some countries suddenly start to hyperinflate, and that's caused by that government deciding to print too much money. And uh, there's lots of... Zimbabwe dollars chasing a little bit amount of food, guess what? You need a lot more dollars to buy that food, and uh, and you get hyperinflation. Uh, another example happened uh, a few decades later. Richard Nixon, uh, in 1971, uh, closed the gold window. That means the U.S. stopped backing dollars with uh, gold. And so at that point, he said, look, guys, we're the United States, uh, yeah, we're the biggest kid on the block, and trust us, our money's good. It's backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, uh, which is, you know, interesting to say when you look at what happened. From 1913, when the Federal Reserve took over managing the dollar and started printing money, to today, the dollar is worth two cents or less compared to what it was in 1913. And it's been something that's just gradually eroding away as the people in charge of that money start to uh, print more and more of it. And so if, if uh, you were to go back to 1913 and instead have honest money in place that wasn't printing more and more of it, then you would expect to find that money stay equal and even in purchasing power or maybe even grow uh, if uh, if the money was designed to pay a return of interest, like 5%, uh, that that money would be worth in 100 years. It would have grown to be maybe uh, three and a half times as much as the 1913 dollar or 150 sometimes more than today's dollar. That is what fiat does to you. Now, let me take a middle ground step because everybody thinks, well, what if you go back to a gold standard where Every dollar has in the bank somewhere a dollar's worth of gold. Wouldn't that be mm -hmm. great? Okay. Well, it would certainly be an improvement if you knew that was true. But do we really know there's any gold in Fort Knox? A lot of people suspect that, <laughs> they suspect that gold has long since been sold, hasn't been audited for over 50 years. Anytime you don't audit something that long, it's that's important. You've got to think maybe there's some funny business that's going on. And if you wanted to get a cryptocurrency, a digital currency, a lot of people say that's the solution. Let's create a digital currency and let's have gold backing it sitting in our basement. You still have the question of counterparty risk of the person who owns that basement. Do they really have gold there? How often do we check to make sure it's there? Uh, have they used that gold to back more than one thing? Maybe there's multiple currencies out there all thinking they're backed by gold. But, in fact, it's been rehypothecated many times, which basically means it's been used 
uh, to back many different things. And so when the time comes to actually go get your gold, is it really there or is somebody in line ahead of you? So that's the middle ground. Then we get to Bitcoin, digital currencies. And let me tell you a little story. Uh, back when Satoshi Nakamoto first released Bitcoin, he merely suggested to people, hey, this could be used as a currency someday. Everybody said, yeah, right. Those tokens aren't worth anything. But a few people said, well, wait a minute. If this could be a currency someday, I can get a bunch of them cheap right now. And so they might have bought up tens of thousands of them for pennies. Uh, but that started a little bit of a market. And then at some point, somebody bought a pizza with Bitcoin. And I forget the exact number, but let's say 10,000 Bitcoins to buy one pizza. Well, guess what? That just set a market value for Bitcoin. And over time, different speculators bought a little bit of it here, a little bit of it there. Uh, and the price started to creep up until it was enough value that if people wanted to send something to the other side of the planet, they could buy enough of them from somebody, send them to the other side of the planet, and that person could cash it in. And guess what? In 10 minutes or under an hour anyway, you could have transferred something that took the bank five or seven days, business days, to get over there. Well, as soon as people discovered that, they said, wait a minute, this coin has real utility. Okay, the thing that gives Bitcoin its value is its utility. The fact that people have demand for it because either they think it's going to go up in value or they think that they need it in order to make a transaction. And that means that Bitcoin is backed by the utility of the company. If you, if you think of each Bitcoin out there as a little piece of a company that does nothing but one function, Keep track of who owns every share of stock in that company. You can think of Bitcoins as shares in the Bitcoin company. And if we think shares in Microsoft or Exxon have value because they represent the productivity and utility of those companies, then why can't we think of Bitcoin as having uh, inherent value because of the service it performs as a company? And so unlike gold-backed stuff or government-backed stuff, this is backed by real equity in a real company performing services for which there's a demand. And everybody can see all the coins there, so we don't have to worry that somebody has done something with them. It's a transparent ledger. Everybody can inspect it. So Bitcoin is far different from fiat. It's the opposite end of the spectrum. It's honest money. So what's the negative? What's the weakness? What's the... Well, uh-huh. yeah, there's a number of different problems people are working to solve. I've hinted at one, that Bitcoin can't scale. I mean, it has visions of being the world's uh, digital currency, but it won't be because it's a little tiny footbridge. And I just told you the hundreds of lanes of traffic flowing across that, uh, that uh, canyon. And uh, it can take a little bit of it. And as soon as uh, people start to line up, they have to raise their prices. In a recent uh, uh, period of excitement, uh, Bitcoin got so backed up that people were having to pay several dollars to do a transaction extra than the base amount. And uh, sometimes I, I had to wait a day or two for my transaction to go through. So one limitation is that. I'd say that's the biggest one. 
the other thing is it's a little geeky. Uh, you have to you have to know what you're doing. Uh, there's another two-edged sword, which is Bitcoin has no middleman to bail you out if you make a mistake. So while it doesn't have that middleman in there to harm you, it doesn't have that middleman to help you either. And so if you mm. forget your password, uh, you have a little wallet that has your Bitcoins in it, and you've got to use a password to unlock it in order to send anything. And we hear stories all the time about people were careless and forgot to write down their password, and they lost maybe even millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. So personal responsibility is one of the big things that is required if you're going to use these new digital currencies. And people that are willing to do that love the freedom from people interfering and slowing down their economic transactions. But people who are a little bit dependent upon, well, somebody can always reset my password. No, mm -hmm. uh, not with Bitcoin. <laughs> so that would be uh, something that's characteristic of not just Bitcoin, but all digital currencies, cryptocurrencies. You have to pay very close attention to backing up your system, making multiple copies of it, and uh, keeping track of your passwords. That's one of the nice things about BitShares, by the way. It takes it to a whole new level. For example, my BitShares account has several different people with several different uh, computers with several different passwords that are able to unlock it. And I can set it up so that all my children together can unlock something that I can unlock myself or I can unlock with my wife. So you can set up your accounts so that you can back it up. And if you're running a business, maybe you want to have uh, somebody filling out all the paperwork and paying people, but you want to have an officer of the company sign off on big ticket items. Well, with BitShares, you can set it up so that uh, after the person that makes the payment sends it, before it goes and leaves your company, it has to be signed by a second person. So we're working on solving those problems, uh, and all of that is uh, in the BitShare system and available uh, for people who want to build businesses on it. Of course, if you're a person who doesn't want to take the time to educate yourself on that, uh, you can get yourself in trouble by, by not taking the time to learn how to use it. So you've applied the cryptocurrency concept to the business world with the Billion Hero Challenge. What exactly is the challenge and how does it work? Okay, yeah, Billion Hero Challenge, actually Billion Hero Campaign, Com is where we talk all about that, and so you can go read about it. It's a, a site that's under construction, but a really exciting concept. And so where it starts with is uh, our company had a million dollars that we wanted to give to a good cause. You know, what, what should we donate this million dollars to? And it's kind of fun because I'm a big fan of Back to the Future, and uh, so I could picture myself off. I had Doc Brown's time machine, and I could go back to when Bitcoin was worth just $4 and take my million dollars back there and buy a million dollars worth of Bitcoin when it was worth $4 and then hop back here to the future. My million dollars would be worth a billion dollars. So wow. Bitcoin, has, Bitcoin has already had 
a factor of a thousand growth, uh, it's worth four thousand forty two hundred dollars, something like that. So from four dollars to four thousand dollars has already happened to Bitcoin. And pretty close to that has happened to Ethereum too. In just a couple of years, they've almost done the million to billion leap. And so wouldn't it be great if I could take my million dollars back just two years and buy up a million dollars worth of Ethereum? Fast forward to now, I've got a billion dollars I could give to charity instead. Well, I don't have a time machine, but I do have bit shares. And uh, if, if you could find, look into the future and find what the next big uh, coin to grow from a million to a billion is, and I stick my million dollars, in this case, what I did do, I stuck it into BitShares and set it aside in escrow and said, I'm going to give that away to uh, a bunch of good causes, but it reaches a billion dollars just like Bitcoin and Ethereum did before it. Now, that may never happen, or it could take 10 years, or it could take the three years it took Bitcoin or the two years it took Ethereum, but... I just described to you how much better BitShares is than both Bitcoin and Ethereum in terms of its super highway capabilities and all the other functions. It can scale to handle all the world's traffic, and the two leaders that are worth so much can't. So what would uh, economic superhighway, like I've described for BitShares, be worth? Would you think that, you know, if it had started at the same time, as uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum, that it would be worth uh, hundreds of dollars a coin instead of right now 15 cents. Uh, my belief is that it should, but I'm not going to leave it to chance. Instead, I'm uh, working with my team and stuff to do what we call the Billion Hero Challenge, which is to uh, take that billion dollars and break it up into 12 prizes. The first prize is 300 million and 12th place is 10 million. And then we're going to allow anybody in the world who wants to propose a good cause uh, to put it up there. They can register it with us uh, so that uh, we know and can hold them accountable when, when time comes to pay. That's uh, certainly required for tax reasons, among other things. Uh, but if they register the account, anybody can register, and then they can use our website to tell the world why they should vote for their cause. And the 12 biggest vote getters are going to get the billion dollars. And the way you get the ability to vote is by learning how to use the BitShares Superhighway. And as you learn each of the different things it can do, I've talked about quite a few of them. Uh, if you just have a few BitShares, that that counts towards voting points. Uh, if you have some of our other more advanced financial products, uh, then you get some points. And, and you don't have to buy anything because we give away play money called the free loan, which allows you to try the system out without any of your money and still earn points towards picking who the, the winners are. So we're turning it all into a game and making it uh, – something where it's fun to learn how to use not just the BitShares digital currency, but we'll teach people how to use regular Bitcoin and when, uh, when to use Ethereum and some of the other top currencies. And you'll get points for using them as well. Uh, but 
by the time we're done, uh, we think that amount of extra interest, and, and, and to tell you how much the number of celebrities we've talked to who have networks, uh, one I'm thinking of in particular told me, well, with all his friends and their networks, he could reach a billion people on the planet. Oh, and so with all, with all those different people telling their fans and supporters and friends, hey, come support my project to save the whales or stop global warming or uh, any one of any cause you could imagine, uh, bringing in uh, new food and power generation technology to backward places in the world. Anybody can propose any project and sell it. And uh, by getting all their supporters on board and telling them, look, the only thing we have to do is learn how to use BitShares and all of its other products and digital currencies, uh, I think that'll be such a huge bias uh, towards growth that far exceeds what uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum had. And uh, even though Ethereum had an outstanding, impressive uh, networking process, they raised all kinds of money. They've got all kinds of developers. Uh, it's a huge, wonderfully done enterprise. But I think our uh, net networks of uh, all the leaders in the world and their projects will trump that. And so looking forward to the coming year, our goal is to increase the number of users of digital currencies by a factor of 10. And uh, with that type of uh, uh, program to attract people to it, we think that there will be uh, easily to do that. And if we bring them in and show them how to use everything and they compare the choice of using our superhighway to using any of the other footbridges I described, an awful lot of them are going to stick around and use the superhighway. And so our prediction is that a year from now, we'll have 10 or nine times as many new users as uh, the other digital currencies out there that are using their traditional ways of uh, growth and gaining new customers. And that is why I believe, because we've got the best technology and the best marketing plan, that we are an excellent choice to do that growth from a million to a billion and give away that price. So that tells you where the price is coming from. And I might mention that we did the same thing for our employees. We told our employees, hey, we're going to put a million dollars aside in an employee bonus pool. And when we give away the billion-dollar prize to the charities, uh, everybody that has a share in that bonus pool is going to get a piece of a billion dollars as well. Uh, so uh, we're essentially eating our own or drinking our own, uh, eating our own dog food, I guess is the expression, uh, because mm. our, comp our company bonus plan is based on the exact same thing that we want to do for the world with this contest. Very cool. Very cool. Well, where do you recommend someone goes to who, let's say, absolutely knows nothing about cryptocurrency? Would it be the BillionHeroCampaign.com website to learn step-by-step step how to get involved in cryptocurrency and how to get involved with the shares and the challenge um, or the campaign? What would you recommend? Absolutely. I mean, you can go dig it out yourself like everybody else has. You can go to the websites of each specific 
uh, digital currency out there, and they'll teach you about their stuff. But what we want to do is instead of going and looking at you know, wall of text and white papers and things you've got to study and figure out, uh, we want to turn it into a game. So when you show up at Billion Heater Challenge, we'll just give you the first little step, okay? Uh, register uh, to get on our mailing list. And if you do, we'll send you instructions on how to uh, earn some free uh, coins so that you can play the game along with us. And as you do each of those little steps, uh, starting out with play money, and when you're ready, you can use uh, real digital currency, but you don't need to use a lot of it. And we'll take you step by step. Uh, we've got all kinds of things planned. The, the whole thing is not built yet, but we've got a landing page where you can join and get started and see what we're building there. And then every week and every month over the coming years, there will be more and more different things to do and learn there. And so you can take a nice, easy on-ramp, taking little baby steps that, uh, that you can do. And when you get to step 12, it will be easy because you've done the first 11 steps. And as you do that, you accumulate some of this free uh, uh, coins that we call free rows. But those free coins are going to be worth something because uh, one of the 12 prizes is going to be awarded to people who hold those free rows. So by just playing our game with free money, you wind up uh, getting a chance to vote for one of the 12 causes, which is to give all of that prize money back to the people who have been playing the game and helping to make the whole contest work. So there's a little built-in reward for people who play the game. Even if you don't count the difference they're making, by helping to grow our million dollars to a billion dollars to support whoever the, all the players pick as the top 12 best uh, good causes in the world. And you know, at no point in any of this does any money flow to us. This is all us giving away the training, giving away the prize money, giving away the free points, and uh, you know, how do we benefit? Well, we've got our employee bonus pool going along right beside it. Each of us has a piece of that that we get when the prize money grows to a billion dollars. We'll have a billion dollars for our employees as well. And that behind the scene is how we reward people who are helping us. But you, as a ordinary person, might put $10 in at the beginning. And if we go up by a factor of 1000 your $10 becomes $10,000. So this works at any scale. People can copy what we're doing with the two prize pools, the bonus pool and the prize pool, and do that for themselves and sort of ride along and see how it goes. So there's lots of incentives for people to play this game. I love it. And I, I think it's a great um, platform to learn cryptocurrency, to get introduced to the world of cryptocurrency. And um, I, I really um, want to acknowledge what you've put together here, what you and your son and, and the company has put together here. I would love to have you back, Stan. We are running out of time, but I'd love to have you back and go into, I think, other aspects of cryptocurrency. But more important to me, um, I'd love to understand the mindset 
of parenting someone who's developed BitShare and who is obviously a, a brilliant um, entrepreneur and inventor and creator. I would love to dig into how, how you've parented somebody who's um, obviously a, a phenomenal, uh, brilliant mind. And so I don't know if you've got anything to share in that regard, but I'd love to bring you back to Living Wealthy Radio to discuss that, if you're open to that. Well, I sure am, although I don't think I can take any credit for it. Uh, but uh, uh, he is definitely gifted. And, uh, you know, uh, God blessed him for this purpose, and I think he's found his highest calling. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on Living Wealthy Radio today. Uh, your websites that you mentioned, BillionHeroCampaign.com. Yep, that's all you and need to know. You can find everything else from there. Everything else from there. Okay, very good. Well, for those of you um, who are intrigued, I hope you go to the campaign website. I hope you take up their challenge. Um, if you were looking for that one reason to get involved with digital currencies, uh, and because it just seems so overwhelming and confusing, um, I think Stan and his team have certainly given us a really, really good one. The genie is definitely out of the bottle. Cryptocurrency is the future. It might seem a little complicated and intimidating at first, but many have jumped in and discovered right away just how fascinating and promising this new technology is. And now with the Billion Hero Challenge, you can explore the digital currency world while helping good causes that you care about. So again, Stan, thank you so much for joining us today. And we will connect in the near future for uh, another show. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a wonderful day. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com. 